Everybody, I'm excited about two weeks' time. I hope you are uh, too. It's going to be a great. It's going to be a great time. Okay, so we are uh, continuing with our Unstoppable God series. If you are uh, new to the church, or if you're just visiting us, we are uh, working through the, the healing miracles uh, of Jesus, every single one of them, uh, and we don't have many more to go. Uh, I think we've got Ben tonight. Uh, I think Steve and Joe are wrapping up next week, and, and that's really it. Um, so, uh, but still some opportunities for an unstoppable God uh, to reach into our lives and touch us. Let's turn to Mark uh, and Mark chapter 10. Uh, Mark chapter 10, and we are in verse uh, 46 at the end of that chapter, where Jesus heals blind Bartimaeus. If you have a Bible, if you just scan ahead, you'll notice that chapter 11 is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem and the start of the Passion Week. So we really are getting to uh, the end of the Gospel narrative. Uh, But there is this one uh, last opportunity, well, a few more opportunities for Jesus to heal people. But let's pick up the story, Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd... Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprung up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Father, thank you for this word. Just pray that you'd really encourage us now as we look into it, as we just see its relevance for us today. Just bless us. Uh, we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, we've had some wonderful miracles uh, so far in this series. We've seen a number of ways in which Jesus works, uh, and num- a number of ways that Jesus heals and touches people's lives. And there's some uh, remarkable opposites. We've kind of taken all of these stories as individual stories, but when we put them together, we see that, that Jesus absolutely uh, crosses all barriers. He crosses all divisions. There is this universe, universality, if that's a word, of the way that Jesus uh, reaches into uh, people's lives. He crosses all uh, barriers of wealth and social standing, they are not barriers to, to his healing. He has healed uh, on the, risk, on the requests of, uh, of uh, rich noblemen, uh, and as we see here, blind beggars. You know, the amount of money in your pocket is not a criteria as to whether you can come to Jesus or not. He has healed regardless of gender. We perhaps take that one for, for granted, certainly with our society of equality today. But in a society where women, frankly, didn't have that freedom to approach people, to ask people for help, Jesus has healed men and women regardless. Quite a remarkable uh, breaking down of barriers. 
uh, race and religion are no barrier or obstacle to the healings. I think I mentioned last time I spoke that, that Jesus primarily came to the Jews. Most of the healings that we read of are of people of that background. But we read of him healing people that weren't of that faith, people from nations around the particular area. And, and again, with the Great Commission and the apostles taking the gospel out across the world, that barrier will be completely broken down. Uh, there's another distinction. Most people that we read of uh, in these stories are nameless. The rich nobleman, uh, the widow of Nan. But now suddenly we have Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a man with a history, a man with a name, a man with a, a genealogy, a man who is placed into this story in a very real way. Uh, we can sometimes feel nameless or forgotten when we come to God, can't we? Who am I that God would know me? Does he really know my name? Does he really know me as an individual? Well, here we see, named or nameless, Jesus touches the lives of these people. And there are many other divisions and uh, uh, ways that we could break people down. And as we look at this story of, of Blind Bartimaeus, I just want to share a few thoughts with you on the ways that Jesus interacts with people, the way that he comes to them. Uh, I don't even have three points for you today. I must watch my watch because I have four. We have a bonus point, but I really couldn't make this work in three. I needed four because this is a rich story. This is a wonderful story of God touching people's lives. So when we get to point three, don't start to switch off and think it's all over. There's one more uh, to come. But the first point, I've called the coming of the king. Uh, I gave my notes to Joe. Joe Joe's not here. Joe's absolutely brilliant with PowerPoint. I, uh, the last time I was speaking, I sent him my PowerPoint and said, can you stick that on the PC? And I had some rather poor pictures in there. He, he put some brilliant pictures on there. So I sent him this one. I haven't got any pictures today, but I had to look behind me. Well, I just wanted to check that he hadn't kind of, you know, really kind of beefed it up. But hopefully the words are the same. So there we go. Yeah, the coming of the king. So really, my first, I'm going to get distracted by my own PowerPoint here. It's so exciting. Um, but my first point here, and it's an interesting question. Do we come to Jesus or does Jesus come to us? When I look about the coming of the king, do we come to Jesus or does Jesus come to us? Look at verse uh, 46. And as they came uh, to Jericho, and as he was leaving, with his Jer leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. We might think that's an, an obvious question to answer. Well, clearly, we come to Jesus, don't we? We come to Jesus. But I'm struck by verse 46. As they came to Jericho, we don't even have a full stop. Well, we do have a full stop, but we don't even start a new verse with, uh, and as they were leaving Jericho. It's all there in verse 46. He's kind of come to Jericho and he's left Jericho. What did he do in Jericho? I want to know. Jesus has a plan and a purpose. He doesn't just do things. It's, it's a bit like a movie. Where, where the director has to kind of cut things down to make a running time. It seems that whatever has happened in Jericho has got left on the cutting room floor. We're looking for Jesus, the director's cut, to, for that extra bit of footage to see what did he do in Jericho? The truth is, you see, that Jericho and that great city are incidental 
in a story that's playing out here with a blind beggar. All that vast crowd are just bit players, just extras in a far greater story uh, that is happening. Jesus never did anything without plan or purpose, but he has come here to see this man. And the question is, did he come to Bartimaeus or did Bartimaeus come to Jesus? Clearly, there is this element of Bartimaeus having to respond. Clearly, there is this element of he will have to come to Jesus. But can I suggest right at the beginning that the story that we see here is one of Jesus coming to us? Jericho just disappears into the background. It's almost, I'm sure he did do something in Jericho, but I'm sure his mind was fixed on, hey, I'm here because as I leave, there's this guy that I want to meet. There's this guy I want to interact with. And I almost see him walking down the road thinking, oh yeah, there he is, kind of 200 yards ahead. This is what I've come for. This is the person I've come to meet. How, how near do I have to get? I need to be far enough away so that yes, he can respond, so that yes, he can make some steps far enough away that he's got to move, near enough that he can hear me, near enough that he can get to me. This kind of perfect orbit, this perfect trajectory that brings him into Bartimaeus' life so that Bartimaeus can respond. But actually, who has come to who this morning? Jesus has come to Bartimaeus. You see, every one of us is reaching out to God for various things. Every one of us has a unique set of needs and circumstances, and situations this morning. And, and we wrestle with that sometimes. We think, well, what must I do to come to Jesus? What must I do to receive that healing? What must I do to receive that answer? How do I come to Jesus in a right way? How do I avoid coming to Jesus in a wrong way? Well, actually, our realisation this morning needs to be that, yes, so many times Jesus actually comes to us. I just actually need to stand and recognise that he uh, is coming to me. It's a wonderful paradox. It's a wonderful crossing of divides. If you take uh, all of these stories I said as, as together, we kind of see this. Uh, take the story of the lame man. Remember that one? Friends who lowered him through the roof. I was looking back over my notes. I think it was Chris and Nick that were sharing this one with us back in March. But you take the story of the man who was lowered through the roof. That's a wonderful picture of someone having to come to Jesus. You know, ripping a roof off so that they could come to Jesus. But, but the very next week, what was the story that we looked at the very next week? It was Steve sharing with us the, uh, the, the widow of Nan. Jesus just, she, she didn't ask. She didn't even know who he was. There was this funeral that was passing by and Jesus came to her. It wasn't that... that he, she even said, oh, how surprising that Jesus, son of David, you've come to my funeral. No, she didn't even know who he was. And he came to her and said, do not weep. Yeah, we come to Jesus. But do you notice how Jesus comes to us? Recognise that this morning, if you have needs, he's standing behind, beside you, ready to touch and heal. Let us, let's move on. Here's another a paradox or counterpoint or question that we might ask. Why does Jesus ask what he does? This is the challenge of the king. Why does he challenge Bartimaeus in this way? In verse 41, what do you want 
me to do for you. Uh, a slightly more facetious Bartimaeus might have said, do you not see what I need? Is it not fairly obvious? I think I could work out uh, your needs and I'm not the son of God and gifted with great insight. You know, is it, do you, yeah, really? Are you really asking me what do I need? Uh, and it's remarkable, if you look back over all these stories, all these healings, how many times Jesus actually does that? How somebody with such an obvious, a lay, a lay man, what do you want me to do for you? It's not hard to work it out. But Jesus asks this question. There's something really important about asking that question, about answering that question, about being challenged uh, in that way. Because, you see, Bartimaeus could have answered in many ways. He could have answered in some very safe ways. What do you want me to do for you? Well, I'm a beggar. Do you have some money? That would be an answer. Uh, I'm a beggar. The nights are very cold. Could I have a cloak? Could I have your cloak? That's a good answer. I'm a beggar. I'm hungry. Could I have some food? Those are all good answers. Those are all safe answers. But Jesus wants to see, will he ask the unsafe question? Will he ask the, the difficult request? Lord, let me recover my sight. Because that takes a step of faith, doesn't it? You know, here's this man with a great crowd, with a great following. I'm pretty sure there's some food amongst this lot. I'm pretty sure there's a spare cloak amongst this lot. Is there actually someone who can restore my sight amongst this lot? And so we might think that our needs are very obvious. Obvious not just to Jesus, obvious to everybody else in the room. And we might think, well, why do I need to pray? Why do I need to say, Lord, help me in this area? Well, we do that because that's the model that Jesus presents to us. He asks us to very clearly articulate our needs, to pray, Lord, help me recover my sight. Lord, help me with a job, the specifics of that. Lord, help me to find not just a job, Lord, help not me to just find a teaching job. Lord, help me to find a teaching job in that school. What do you want from me? Think about how you, day by day, answer that question. Think day by day how you respond to the challenge of the king. What do you want me to do for you? Let's move on. Here's a, a third point, the call of the king. Another great paradox in this story, another great counterpoint, is, uh, is the balance, as I said, between playing safe and throwing caution to the wind. Uh, look here uh, again in the passage. Uh, throwing off his cloak... He sprung up and came to Jesus. See, unfortunately, these days, we don't have to look very hard to find homeless people. Even in a, a town like Crawley, uh, there are people sleeping in shop doorways, people sleeping rough, people who are beggars, to, to use perhaps an impolite term for it. People sleeping rough with very little possessions. Uh, I guess... A sleeping bag is a very important thing when you're homeless and on the, on the streets. It's that equivalent of a cloak 
to keep you warm at night. You know, you need that sleeping bag. I know that many of the charities that work with, uh, with homeless people and, and help them over Christmas, you know, the provisions that they give them are some clean clothes, some fresh clothes, and a sleeping bag. Those things are so important. But I notice the way that Bartimaeus throws off his cloak and sprung up and came to Jesus. You know, for a blind man, to put it really simply, he's not going to find his way back to his cloak after this encounter. It's probably already trampled underfoot. It's already been seized by someone else. He's not going back to where he came from. The king has called him and he has responded and his life is not going to be the same. Even if he wanted to, he's not going to find his way back to where he came. Someone with less faith, when, when the crowd said, take heart, he's calling you, would have said, great, let me pick up my cloak. Let me gather my few meagre possessions. Who would criticise him for that? Because if this doesn't work out, I need to go back to the roadside. No, he has left that thought behind. He has abandoned his safety net. He has abandoned everything that he would cling to and he has jumped into the arms of Jesus. This is just so at the heart of our faith, this total commitment, this total abandonment. This isn't a social club that we join, uh, that when we become dissatisfied, we stop paying our dues and, and move on. You know, we don't have uh, four yearly elections over whether Jesus is the leader of the party that we're going to follow. You know, this is a timeless, eternal king. We can retell the story of the, uh, of the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, leave everything. Let's put that into a more uh, modern day setting. Man comes to Jesus and says, what must I do? to inherit eternal life? What will it cost? And Jesus says, well, how much do you have? And the man says, well, I've got £10 in my pocket. Okay, it'll cost you £10. So the man takes out his wallet and takes out his £10. And Jesus says, well, what are those plastic things in your wallet? Oh, well, they're my credit cards. They give me access to all the other money in my bank accounts. Oh, you have more money. Well, I have those as well. So the man hands over his credit cards and he says, is that it? And Jesus says, well, how did you get here today? This meeting is a long way away. He said, well, I drove here, obviously. Oh, a car? I'll have the car keys, please. And the man hands over the car keys. And where do you live, seeing as you've come a long way? Well, yeah, I have a nice house. It's, you know, a couple of miles away. Oh, you have a house? And so the man hands over the car keys and the house keys. Is that it? You've got everything now. And Jesus says, well, are you alone in this life? Well, no, I've got a wife, two lovely children. And Jesus says, well, do you see where the story goes? And then at the end, when Jesus finally says, is that everything? And the man truly, truly says, yes, you have everything now. And the man says, well, there's your house keys, there's your car keys, there's your credit cards and your money. I want you to use them, I want you to have them but I want you to remember that they're mine. Yeah. I'm giving them back to you so that you can use them for my kingdom. Yeah. But you've committed yourself to me totally. You've given me 
everything. You know, we don't come into this kingdom and pay half our dues, pay a nominal subscription. This takes us everything. This costs us everything. That's the call of the king. People fall away from the faith for all sorts of reasons. Now is not the time to look into that. But I really do wonder if in many of those instances it's because at the heart people have failed to realise that. That following Jesus costs everything. We give it our all. We don't cling on to something in case it doesn't work. Be that a cloak, be that any other financial security, be that any other plans or purposes. We are committed when the king calls us, we answer. And then lastly, because I said there were four, we come to the cause of the king. Here is another uh, great difference between the people that Jesus heals, another difference that touches people's lives. See, Bartimaeus is commended for his faith. I think that's actually one of the reasons why he's actually called Bartimaeus, why he's singled out and given a name. Uh, it's actually so interesting when you read the parallel gospel accounts. It can be a challenge sometime. Uh, Matthew, I think, uh, get these right, right around, because this story is in Matthew, Mark, uh, and Luke. Uh, Matthew just calls him a blind beggar. Uh, Luke seems to have uh, two beggars in the story, or it's the other way around. But, but I've gone with Mark uh, for reasons that I won't... Well, I will explain the reasons why there are differences I won't explain. I'll let you work that one out. But, but Mark is the one that calls him Bartimaeus. Again, a man locked into a genealogy, locked into a history, because here is a response of faith. And there are all sorts of different responses to Jesus. Why I call this the cause of the king, you'll see in a minute. But who do you say I am is not just a question that Jesus once asked Peter. It's a question that is asked of every single one of us every single day. Who do you say I am? And the answers to those questions are varied and different in many great regards. Let me take you back to another story that we looked of not so long ago. Uh, another blind man who was healed in John chapter 9. Uh, the story there was the, the Pharisees are quite surprised that this man has suddenly regained his sight. And so they question him. Uh, and rather than questioning him, first of all, they question his parents. And they say to his parents in John chapter 9, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Well, perhaps they say, Well, get a better response from the guy himself. They ask the man, What does he respond? Well, one thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. That's a great response, isn't it? That's a great testimony. But I guess if I was Jesus, recognising that I had come not just to heal blind people, not just to restore withered limbs, but to share the truth of the gospel, to share the nature of God, that's the mission, that's the cause of the king, to point the way to God. If that had been my cause, a response that says, well, I don't really know... I know I was blind, but now I see. That, that's a great testimony, but it's not a great exposition of the gospel. 
It's not a great clarification of the truths of who God is. And I'm quite struck by this difference that, that Jesus doesn't seem to be worried by that. He'll heal this man, even though this man seems to have no idea how it happened. And here he'll Bartimaeus, who seems to have suddenly realised this great deep truth. Because what does Bartimaeus say when he cries out? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And there, in those eight words, is the gospel. There, in those eight words, is a truth that every one of us needs to have in our hearts. Jesus, son of David. Jesus directly descended from David, a king, one with power and authority. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Do you notice here a recognition of his true condition? I imagine if I was in this position, I'm sure that I would be saying, help. Help. I can't think of what else I would say. I'd be saying, help. I'm in a pretty tough place. I need help. I need assistance. I need food, money, clothes, help. I have needs. I wouldn't be saying, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. But this is the truth. This is the truth that has suddenly been recognised. This is the truth that lifts Bartimaeus out of anonymity into somebody who is named and defined in Scripture. He has recognised that he needs saving, not from his blindness, but from his whole position before God. You know, you can tell a lot about people from what they think they need saving from. Just the last couple of weeks, uh, we've had Donald Trump take America out of the Paris Climate Agreement. You might think that that's a tragedy. It probably is a tragedy. You might think that our greatest need is to be saved from climate change, pollution, to be saved from species extinction or overpopulation. You might think that's the sort of things that we need saving from. Don't need that one. I've done that one. You might think that we need saving from homelessness, from poverty, from uh, cuts in the National Health Service. They're all great and commendable things. You might think they're the things that we need saving from. The events of last Thursday probably hinged on whether you think we need saving from a Labour government or a Tory government, saving from Brexit, being saved from Europe. You might even think we need being saved from a hung parliament. You can tell a lot about people by what they think they need to be saved from. The only thing that we need to be saved from is God. Isn't that interesting? The only thing that we need to be saved from is God. And that's the truth that Bartimaeus recognises here. A holy, righteous, absolutely just God who will hold all men to account who will look at men's sin, who will look at men's standing and say, are you trusting in me or are you not trusting in me? Do you recognise that you need to be saved from my justice? Because that's what Jesus came for. That's why he died 
on the cross. That's why he gave his life for us, so that we could be rescued, so that we could be saved, so that we could stand before God as holy and righteous. You see, Bartimaeus would one day die and in that physical sense see no more. So the question is not, is Bartimaeus healed physically? Is Bartimaeus healed spiritually? We were talking so much in our small group last week about, again, last week about the ten lepers. The ten that came, the one that came back, the nine that didn't come back, all received a physical healing. We were asking lots of questions in our small group about what sort of spiritual healing did they receive. I wonder if you had those sort of same conversations. But all the people in these passages, even the ones that were raised from the dead, would die again and would live no more. Where was their healing then? Where was their saving then? See, the question is, are we healed spiritually? As you've come in this morning with needs, physical needs, will you recognise perhaps the greater spiritual need that you have to come before this King that comes to us in the first place, but calls us, challenges us, and has a great cause that he asks us to come alongside with and get behind and to recognise him as the Son of God. Can I ask you to stand? We're going to pray. Uh, I'll ask the band just to come back. I think we've got time for just one last chorus. Maybe you are here this morning as someone who doesn't know Jesus. You would echo the words of that second blind man. I don't know who he is but you recognise your need of salvation, your need to be saved from a holy God and to come into this family that we've been speaking of. If that's you this morning, I'm just going to pray a short prayer uh, and then we'll just open that up for people that do, again, need healing. This is a prayer that you want to pray, you just want to recognise your need of Jesus. Then I'm just going to say this, these words. You just say them quietly in your heart after me. Just a short prayer. Jesus, I thank you for coming to me. I'm sorry that I have turned away from you and gone my own way. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. Thank you for taking my place and bearing my punishment. I acknowledge you as Saviour and Lord of my life. And I ask you to help me to live for you now. Amen.